The Pac-12 is moving on up right into the college football top 10 of the AP poll. And six Pac-12 teams are ranked this week. The conference is getting respect, even though this weekend did not go as planned. The teams we thought were going to win actually lost, and the teams we thought were going to lose actually won, but it worked out overall. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amsden. We're going to go through all the games and more, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. guys on this episode of the Pac-12 Apostles we got so much that we're gonna break down all the games but we also we got some great news we got our first fan rant you guys don't forget you can send to I'm mad at unafraidshow.com your 30 second rant about the Pac-12 in that weekend whether it's college football as a whole or your team in general and it will make the airwaves on the Pac-12 Apostles so we got one from Damian Ortega today we will get to that in just a few minutes. We're going to break down all the games. We're going to go through it all. Ralph, overall, how would you judge this weekend for the Pac-12? It's tough. It's tough to make an overall judgment for me. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of teams that are competitive, but now we enter into the time of year where they all start to cannibalize each other. Um, Arizona State snuck out of a game you know, by, by the skin of their teeth. Uh, University of Arizona looked dominant, even though my dude Khalil Tate played like trash. Uh, this was this was a really, really interesting weekend. You saw Stanford fall down by almost four touchdowns across the country and then actually start to mount a little bit of a comeback. Uh, and then Colorado, just, just with a couple of really bad coaching decisions at the end of the game, they cost themselves uh, the ability to be undefeated heading into Pac-12 play. So I'm having a hard time capturing one emotion to cover everything that happened this week. I, I would agree. It was a mixed bag. It kind of felt like with the Stanford loss, because obviously Stanford's not as good as everybody thought they were going to be this year. So with the Stanford loss with the USC loss, those just didn't feel real good because USA, we, we all had hope. We all had hope. Wait, hold up. Maybe Clay Helton is saving his job. Maybe the past even though the path had been cleared to fire him with Lynn Swan resigning, maybe Helton was just going to shut, shut everything down, go win at BYU, start out three and oh, and clear all and quiet all the rumors surrounding him. And they just did not get it done. Their defense looked like Swiss cheese. It was tough, but then you get a game like Arizona state and you're saying, hold up. I don't know how this happened, but we'll take it. But we'll take it. And I, I thought it was cool that the, because I am a big East Coast bias believer. I am the guy that, that says and knows that there is bias against the Pac-12. However, they started out with five teams in the preseason top 25. And now going into after week three, we have Arizona State ranked. Cal is ranked. Washington is ranked. Washington State is ranked. Oregon and Utah are all ranked. I find it insane, though, that that UCF jumped over Oregon in the rankings because that's where the East Coast bias comes in. Because at no point in time could a a Oregon team who just won seventy seven to six over Nevada, who beat Purdue, and then thirty five to three fall down in the rankings. I mean that that would never on earth happen to an SEC team. That just doesn't happen. So it's disrespectful there. 
And even though the conference does have all these teams ranked now, you got Washington at 22, Cal at 23, Arizona State at 24. So what does that mean, Ralph, as soon as they play each other? That it's going to be really hard for people to take the win seriously because as soon as you beat a team that's ranked 24th, then you're talking about them not even being a top 25 team anymore. It's uh, it, I think that it's a low reward proposition to have you know a bunch of Pac-12 teams bunched together, especially, I mean, just in between 19 and 25. That's four teams right there. Between 19 and 24 is four teams right there in the AP poll. So uh, I don't know. It, 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 the, the teams that are up there, your Utahs, when they win those games, it's going to look really good for them. Uh, but if Cal plays Arizona State and one of them wins, you know maybe you get a two-spot bump, but the other team's going to have a really hard time climbing back into the polls. So just screenshot what it looks like right now because this might be the, the best it gets for the Pac-12 all season long. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there are six teams ranked, but that'll change very quickly because it would be different if the teams were ranked in between like six and 18 because then you can lose the loser of a of a close game won't then fall out of the polls. They won't they'll fall to 23, 24 instead of falling completely out. And that's what you're going to have. But the conference, I think, is set up in a good position. Because Utah and Oregon don't play each other this season, right? Right. So if Utah wins the South and you get Oregon winning the North, now and if and if Oregon's only losses against Auburn, now you set up a situation where you may be able to get a team in the college football playoff because if Utah wins, they'll be undefeated. By that time, if Oregon's 11-0, they'll be in the top 10 as well, along with Utah, at 12-0. So then you're going to have two top 10 teams showing off in the Pac-12 championship game. And that's the kind of matchup that can propel you into the college football playoff over some of these other teams who won't play as tough a competition in a conference championship game. Yeah, and I mean that illustration you gave between six and eighteen. I mean, there's five Big Ten teams just in that space. So you know, I think that they're they're going to have a little bit easier of a time fighting for position. Uh, and I mean, unless everyone just sort of loses to each other, uh, they're going to have a little bit easier of a time fighting for a, a position um, in the Final Four. Uh, I do want to give a small shout out, Pac-12 adjacent shout out to the University of Virginia who is being led by a former Pac-12 quarterback in Bryce Perkins. They're 3-0. and They beat your boy <laughs> out at Florida Willie, State. Willie T. Willie T, man. Man, that, that seat is turning into a volcano right now. My goodness. They, and they gave that game away, too. They had like five personal fouls in the fourth quarter. Just and a then, poor, and just then Virginia tried team. to give it – Virginia and the referees tried to give it back on the last drive. They tried to let <laughs> – Florida State catch back up. It was incredible. I was like, come on, man. You're letting this thing get too close. But I do a top 10 as well for all of college football. And I don't have a Pac-12 team in yet, but I do have two teams at 11 and 12 right now. And I base it on three things. The same thing I based the Pac-12 power rankings on, which we'll get to in the later on in the show. Uh, I base it on schedule played. Like, who have you played? Have you played any good teams, power five teams? top teams, your quality wins, 
and your dominance. Those are the three things. I don't care about no damn eye test. <laughs> it, those are the things. And so, so far in the top 10 this week, I have, uh, so I have Oregon and Utah sitting at 11 and 12, Michigan at 10, even though they looked ugly, but they played a service academy last time. Notre Dame at nine, Texas at eight, Georgia at seven, Auburn at six, Ohio State at five, Oklahoma at four, Alabama at three, LSU at two, and Clemson at one. And no, I do not have the Florida Gators anywhere near the top 10 right now because they're because that team is not very good. They have just beat a Miami team who's terrible and they snuck by with a win against Kentucky who's not very good either and didn't have their quarterback. So, I mean, LSU at two is maybe the only thing that I think anybody would look at that and say, ooh, that's controversial because you, you got a lot of good teams, one through three in the AP poll, and you're saying LSU is good enough to be to, to push two of them out of there. Oh, so uh, and, and what are you, you basing that on quarterback play or just they look complete? I mean, they did give up a lot of points to Texas. They played Texas, though, who is clearly by their – Are you a Texas's back person? Yeah, I'm a Texas's back person. And, okay, and, okay. And so LSU has played a competitive game. They've played a game against somebody with a pulse. Georgia has played nobody with a pulse. Alabama has played nobody with a pulse. And e and and uh this week Georgia plays Notre Dame. So if Georgia comes out and dominates Notre Dame, Georgia may move into the number two spot ahead of LSU and Alabama. It, it it's about who you've played and your dominance. If so Alabama hasn't played anybody yet, but when they go and play LSU, they may just skyrocket up if they beat them like they did last year, 29 to nothing. Then guess what? You're probably banking on being the number one team in the nation again. And that that's why I think that you have to play it the same way in the Pac-12 power rankings. That's why I haven't had Utah even higher so far because they hadn't really played anybody yet. Um, but I do have to give them even more credit for their BYU win right now because uh, BYU looks a little better than we thought they were right now. Uh, but uh, we want to get to the rant. We want to get to the rant, and you guys make sure you guys send them in. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. Your rant about your team, your rant about the Pac 12. Here we go with Damian Ortega's rant. Huge fan of the show, also a big SC fan. Um, just finished watching the game against BYU, and first impressions, you know, our defense sucks. Uh, you know, I I love our players, but, you know, I really don't trust Pendergast at DC. You know, we can't effectively set an edge for some reason. We He doesn't use our linebackers effectively. Uh, we put no pressure on the opposing quarterback, and for some reason we forget how to tackle, you know, halfway through games. And, you know, this is no fault uh, for Slovis because, you know, he's, you know, a young quarterback, and you know, developing. I don't expect him to be, you know, a football god or anything like that. But this is a totally winnable game. One to two more stops. Uh, yeah, I mean, Clay Helton says, you know, this is, you know, a special team with special kids. But, you know, yeah, it is. We, we have the talent to, you know, sky's the limit. But, you know, our coaching is, is at, it's abysmal. It really is. And this is why USC fans have trust issues. This has been the same, you know, status quo for five years. We have this false positive. In the next game, we go and lay an egg. Um, you know, what can I say other than, you know, bring in Urban Meyer, you know, because this is never going to stop. Thanks again, and, uh, you know, 
really, really appreciate, uh, you know, you got your guys' commentary on the show. And uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing it on uh, on Monday. All right, Ralph, he had a lot to say right there. He is clearly not a happy USC fan right now, as many of their fans are not. What did you think? Well, first of all, you know, I, I follow a lot of USC fans. I follow a lot of USC media accounts. I follow some of those accounts that vacillate between being media and fans. And uh, there's a lot of pessimism out at USC. I think the thing I like about Damien's rant is that he's not really a pessimist. He's more of a pragmatist. He says, you know, what? these are the very specific things that we're having an issue with. I'm sick of it. If Urban Meyer's the solution, let Urban Meyer be the solution. But, you know, he pointed out some things that he said that the defense isn't playing well. They're not setting the edge. He's not really sure what they have to do there. Um, you know, I, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm in wait and see mode. I don't think that Urban Meyer's in a hurry to take any job anywhere. And it's not like it's not like it's really doing any harm to have uh, Clay Helton in the position that he's in. If you're planning on bringing a guy like Urban Meyer in after him, you know, just just kind of kind of ride it out and see what you can do. I don't think there's anybody else on that staff midseason who's going to come in and, and and make some good decisions. That I, I will I will give him that this felt like a coaching loss. I was changing the channel back and forth between USC BYU and ASU Michigan State the entire game, and it was just it, it was confounding to me that it was like, man, you just found out that you've got a a world-class sprinter in Keaton Slovis and you went and entered him in a 5k. Yep. Like just take some shots down the field. I, I get that you're trying to establish the run, but it's not really working. The score's kind of close. Take some shots. And I didn't, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like they were letting him air it out the way that a, he showed he could last week and B the way, you know, you can with Graham Harrell as your offensive coordinator. So I didn't understand a whole lot of what USC was doing. I also, this is going to, uh, maybe this is me being picky. Uh, well, the other team was picky. They got Keaton Slovis three times, but I will say that last interception didn't look like one to me, but you got to go with the ref's initial call when you don't have a good angle. Yeah, there was not a good angle right now, right there. So we'll start with that game in and of itself. Utah, I'm sorry, in Utah, USC, who was ranked 24th, lost to BYU 30 to 27. And it was disappointing. I, I would totally agree. They didn't let Slovis try to push the ball downfield. And this is a time where coaches, where they get a little scared. I, I believe that this is a time where Clay Helton knows his job is on the line. And what they did is they talked themselves into playing conservative. They talked themselves into saying, oh, we have a freshman quarterback. He's on the road going to BYU. This is going to be tough. Let's try to protect him. Let's try to give him easy throws instead of just letting the kid go out and play football. And because like the, the more that you try to baby a kid in a situation, baby a quarterback, especially when he showed he's willing to sling it, it's different if you have Chase Garbers who's not uh, willing or capable to sling it at, at this level. It's different. If you have a kid who's willing and able, you have to let him do it. And USC's wide receivers will make him right. If you let him do it, they are good enough that they will make top-tier plays for you. Because USC is has better athletes than BYU. But the problem was, there was two glaring things wrong with this USC team I see right now. Number one, 
in the BYU game, their BYU's nose tackle, I think his name is Tunga, he was whooping their center all day in pass protection, run, run blocking. I mean, he was demolishing him. And the other, so their line had trouble. And then the other part is their secondary, it, it, it was like Swiss cheese, dude. Like their, their pass defense, especially when it mattered the most, people running wide open. There was a couple plays that a, a couple guys made, but in general, it was not good coverage on the back end for USC. And I don't know. I mean, they put together some good recruiting classes. So at this point, you have to say, are they being coached up to the level that they need to be to actually turn these guys into a NFL players and be a team that can win the Pac-12 South? Yeah, I just I'm I'm stuck on the whole just trying to pound the rock thing. You are USC. You've got world class athletes in that backfield, and at some point, you had to realize that the longest run that you have on the day is 16 yards. And Marquis Step had a 15 yard run, and still at the end of the day, you ran the ball over 40 times, and you're averaging only around four yards a carry. Meanwhile, Eric Cromenhoek has a 60 yard catch. Michael Pittman Jr. has a 30 yard catch. Like, you want to try to pick up some of these big chunks. You want to trust those receivers. And it just, uh, I'm on Ross St. Brown getting the ball silly. one time, knowing his level of ath- knowing his level of athleticism, just on a bubble screen. Just on a bubble screen. Like, first of all, first of all, I'm on Ross St. Brown should be dominating college football already. Something is wrong. And it's not with him. I, I will tell you that in... It maybe maybe it is. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe it's a combination of both. He should be dominating college football right now. Dominating. As good as Tyler Vaughn's and Michael Pittman are, and I, and they are some of the best that I have seen, some of the best that I have seen, Amon Ross St. Brown was not someone you could contain at the high school level. He's playing against the dudes he played in high school, and, and, and you're not even giving him a chance to touch the ball to see if he can break some of these plays. So, I, I mean, I've got a problem there. Uh, I think that USC struggles with quarterbacks who don't panic, quarterbacks who kind of know what they're doing and, and can handle the pressure, because I think that pressure is one of the one things that UCLA feels like they can use to shake other players. I mean, they're playing Drake Jackson on that defensive line. He's a true freshman. They don't have a ton of depth on that defense. And so when you kind of get some pressure on the quarterback and he doesn't really care all that much, um, you're, you're not, you're not going to be able to, uh, to scare a bunch of 24 year olds at BYU. The youngest, youngest dude on that team, Gunnar Romney, he led him in receptions. He's somebody who I watched play uh, in Arizona. This is a dude that could probably play. It's a dude that could probably play for USC. Uh, Matt Bushman, he's like one of their 24-year-old tight ends. You know, they, they've got all these good receivers, and you, you gave Zach Wilson enough time to kind of run around and make some plays. Yeah. He caught a pass. <laughs> so, like, he, you know, they, they, they were just more creative offensively. Um, they were outcoached. USC was outcoached. BYU was coming off of a very tough game against Tennessee, and they were prepared. And it, when, when it came down to it, you don't want to be in a situation where you're playing a team at home, in at their home, in overtime. You just don't even want to be in that pos- uh, position. And then in exactly. overtime, you're going to throw the ball? After not throwing the ball, you're going to try to throw them? It just, the whole thing seems silly to me. It's another in a long line of examples of maybe Clay Helton not being the right guy to get this right. Yeah, and Kalani Sataki, the, the coach at BYU, 
if if you haven't looked at some of these future Pac-12 schedules, BYU's on everybody's schedule. BYU is a part of the Pac-12 for the next few years. Just like they are on the Stanford and Notre Dame schedule, they are on everybody's schedule. They're playing Oregon, Washington, USC, Stanford. I mean, they are playing Cal, everybody. So get used to it and get used to this brand of football because the Pac-12 has to win these games against this independent because people don't really know what to make of BYU and they don't have the same brand recognition as Notre Dame if you beat them. So a a loss feels really bad to BYU, even though it's not. Like it feels like a Mountain West loss. Yeah, I mean, I look at BYU. BYU is they're just a bull in a china shop. Like, and even if you're the best bull wrangler in the world – to wrangle the bull, you still have to wrangle a bull. Like they are big and tough, and it is a pain in the butt to play them. And anytime you see them on the schedule, you got to ask yourself, like, are they going to make us a better football team, or are we going to get ourselves in trouble? This is they, you can you can chalk them up there with the rest of the Mountain West as teams that I just don't want to see on people's schedules anymore. Oh, for sure. Oh, and since we're keeping track of the games, this week, Ralph went eight and four. I'm sorry, I went eight and four. Ralph went nine and three. So he had a good week. I would have gone nine and three, too. I couldn't believe we all picked that. We both picked the exact same games. Uh, We both went. uh, We both would have gone nine and three. But last second, when I tweeted it out, I changed my UCF pick to Stanford, even though the graphic said that I picked UCF, I made it clear in my tweet. I'm changing my pick to Stanford just to let everybody know. And then about three minutes into the game, I was like, oh, that was a mistake. (laughs) That was a huge fail. I mean, how embarrassing was that game, which we'll go to next, that UCF and Stanford game? On a scale from 1 to 10 for the Pac-12 conference, and for Stanford itself, how bad I've was this loss? trying to remember the last time that I've seen somebody score 28 on a Pac-12 team in one quarter. I mean, I know it's probably happened to Oregon State a couple of times, but, like, this was, this was something else. I mean, this game got out of hand so early, just back-to-back-to-back to back to back touchdowns. It was 21 nothing, not even halfway through the first quarter. What are you supposed to do there? And then you finally get a touchdown back and you can breathe a little bit, and they put together a one-minute drive to score their fourth touchdown. Unbelievable. Just, oh. And it was 38-7 to seven at halftime. Yeah. They had no hope. I mean, and UCF, I'm a UCF believer. I say that they are the best team in the state of Florida. They're better than Florida, better than Miami, better than Florida State. better Obviously better than South Florida, who Charlie Strong may not be there very long. But this team is well coached. I mean, and they're doing this without Mackenzie Milton, who's their star quarterback who tore up his knee last year. They don't even have their best player at quarterback, and they're doing this. And And Stanford looked the same way they did last week against USC. They look slow. And it it it's it hurts them that Walker Little is out there, they're all world linemen, but still, like overall, their team speed looks bad. I don't I am questioning because we, we all talk about at what point in time do will teams have a lull? 
but you shouldn't have this big of a lull when you have a good coach like David Shaw. Something is up at Stanford, and David Shaw needs to make an adjustment because whatever he was doing is no longer yeah, working. I mean, I, I, I'm somebody who's been saying for two years that David Shaw needs to take an NFL job um, because just the, the way that the NCAA is set up, it, it's just kind of getting away from any advantage that Stanford might have um, in its prestige or whatever. Recruiting is very hard for them anyway. Now you have an early signing day. That's going to be really tough. You've got people dropping 400 offers when Stanford refuses to offer unless they believe that you'll commit. Um, in, and so it, it's tough for them on branding. It's just always been tough for them anyway. They just hit uh, – they hit – a really great streak of having a good formula that people have been able to adjust to. And now some people are actually adopting Stanford's formula uh, with better athletes, which is something that I feel like Arizona state has set out to do since hiring Herm Edwards. Um, it, they gave up runs of 15 or more by three different players. They gave up receptions of 25 or more by four different players. So this is, I mean, they were gashed. They were gashed. This is not a good. Um, this is not a good Stanford team defensively. And anybody, I mean anybody who has athletes and playmakers, needs to just make sure that your game plan is to employ ways to get all of them in space all the time. Because it, until Stanford stops the bleeding, um, it, it's going to be a mess. Oh, remember when everybody was pointing to that Stanford-Oregon game as a game that Oregon should could possibly lose on the farm? If Oregon loses that game right now, it looks yeah. bad because that game's this week. If if Oregon loses that game, that is going to be a – people are going to be looking at Mario Cristobal like, what are you doing, home, homeboy? So you run up the score and on, on Nevada and – and against Mon Montana, but now all of a sudden we want to get back to conservative play. No, 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 buddy. This is a game that, uh, not to get ahead of ourselves, the preview of our Thursday show, but this is a game, a Stanford team that looks bad. Their running game does not look good. Uh, Cameron Scarlett is who we thought he was. KJ Costello, who I was high on, looked extremely bad against UCF. He only completed 21 of 44 passes for 199 yards. I thought that they would be able to air it out some, especially once they got down 21. But that, that's just it. You get, and then it was you get down 21-0 and everyone knows you have to throw. Everyone knows it. And Stanford's only got what, like 12, 12 calls for the, for the passing offense that yep. they're going to run? You know, all you got to do is make sure that you 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 bracket their tight end and you put your best athlete on St. Brown and then get some pressure on Costello, and it's a, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, I, at, at this point, if you're David Shaw, you you like the end feels near for this whole style of his recruiting, which is, like you said, I'm not going to offer you unless you commit. And when you think about how he then also deals with his quarterbacks where he won't even recruit quarterbacks if he doesn't think that they're quote unquote his kind of guy like they have to fit into a certain box and I don't think it works like that even if you are Stanford you're Notre Dame you're some of these other schools with 
very high admission standards, you still have to find a way to get the athletes on the field to win games. This feels like a Larry Stanford is the Larry Scott of like they with their philosophies and all of this. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine that we're losing. We're doing it the Stanford right. way, though. Yeah. Uh, it's very Larry it, Scott. Yeah, go down. You go down with the ship. You're 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 a man of honor. But lo- losing is losing. I think, and I think I've told you this not on the podcast, but I did know a, a quarterback um, whose dream uh, it was to play at Stanford, and he's a very very successful, very highly regarded quarterback with a ton of offers, including some of the best teams in the entire country. And uh, he just really wanted to play for Stanford. And this is a really good, really high character kid. And uh, he he misjudged the situation with David Shaw and did the Tom Brady introduction of like, hey, I'm going to be the best quarterback to ever play for you. <laughs> and, and the way that it was explained to me is like it just backfired. It was I mean, this is a really, really good kid whose approach to this and they needed a quarterback desperately at the time just turned David Shaw off and he, you know, he was forced to consider other options. And so um, he really wanted to play at Stanford, had the grades to do it was enough of an upstanding character and had probably as much success as any quarterback that I've ever watched in person. And, and he, he instantly became not an option for Stanford just based off of, you know, one or two interactions. And I, I don't think Stanford even took a quarterback in that kid's uh, recruiting class. And so uh, I'm, I'm very, so very wack. curious. That is so I'm wack. really curious about the way that they recruit some of their players um, because for some, it just seems like a, a formula. Like you got a good frame, you got some speed on defense, and you got the grades, you're good to go. Um, it, are you are you willing to uh, play right away though? Because they don't redshirt a whole lot of players. Um, you know, on the on the front line, you know, then then you're good to go. If you're a quarterback, you have to be like the perfect human being. Um, but we're seeing that that's not necessarily like it's not working. You have to sometimes you got to grab two or three commits let them battle it out and just go with the best one. Yeah, I am a believer in this, that that this is how you build a good football team, that you need like 15%, 10 to 15% of your kids that are high character, do the right thing, like that they're self-motivated. They're going to get good grades in school, regardless of anything that happens. They just care about doing the right thing. High character kids. And then you need about like 10 to 15 percent of your kids who are just assholes and like headed down a bad path, sort of. And you always got to kind of watch them. And, but they but they have that asshole in them. And out of that third and then you got 70 percent of your kids who are going to go either way. They're either going to go up with the kids and follow those kids that are leading or they're going to follow the kids that are that are doing the wrong thing. And you need that balance. But the kids at the top have to win. Like so if you win and they pull up the kids who are kind of assholes and they get them on board, then your whole team moves in the right direction because that instills the element of character an element of toughness. Because those those jerks at the bottom, they push those kids at the top to do the right thing. They they challenge them in different ways, and they need that. So and it's the and that's the same thing. It infects your team, and that's how you build a good quality team. Um, the next game up though is the game that happened on Friday night. Thank God, Washington State won this game. 
31 to 24 against Houston. So guess what, Washington State fans? You finally got a test. So that whole most efficient offense in the in the country, it didn't look so efficient in the first half, did it? No, you only scored seven points. That's what happens when you actually play some competition. So good on Washington State for winning. But this is where you have to actually play somebody in the beginning of the season to get you prepared for some of these games. Otherwise, if if Houston were a better team, uh, Washington State may have been digging out of a hole instead of just a seven-point deficit at halftime, which may have been too much to overcome. Yeah, this game was this game was strange in that like Washington State was eating up yards in the first half, um, but just couldn't finish drives, right? And then um, I, I feel like they were still relatively efficient. Gordon only had that one interception. Uh, and then you get into the you get into the third quarter when the defenses tire out a little bit and you see Washington State start to charge, start to convert, start to get points. Um, but Houston is just kind of plugging away the whole time. And uh, it was really that final drive at Washington State. They, you know, they get that touchdown to go up two scores with 643 in the fourth quarter where uh, Travell Harris caught that seven yard touchdown. And then they get the ball back right away and kick a field goal. Um, that right there to me was the, uh, the one chance I was looking at them to, to try to score because uh, that they were, they were on the goal line. If they had a scored a touchdown right there, that game would have just been, I mean, I, I think the end result would have, you would have said to yourself, well, Washington state is for real. This is 38 to 17, or this is 34, uh, 34, 35 to 17 with four minutes left They're, They've doubled up Houston on the road, but they end up just kicking a field goal. And then Derek King, you know, scores a touchdown and then Washington state has to figure out a way to run the clock out. That was, uh, you know, the end of that game to me was uh, something where I felt like Washington state should have stepped on the throat and they didn't, but when they get going, I mean, when they're, when their offense is in rhythm, it's going to cause a problem for a lot of people. I'm, I, I actually warmed up on this team a little bit because of, because of this game, because I think some of their issues are correctable issues. They're not issues of talent. They're just issues of execution. And if they can execute, they will become executioners in this conference. Anthony Gordon is a good quarterback, but he's not Gardner Minshew. I, I noticed that kind of about halfway through the game. There were a few throws that he wasn't as quick, all of that, but he's still a good Washington State quarterback in terms of the offense that they run. So he may not be able to provide some of the electricity and the special ability that Gardner Minshew did because, you see, he was able to step in for the Jacksonville Jaguars and play well. He played well in week one and came back and played uh, well this week, too, even though I think they lost both games. But Gardner was fine. Like he showed he's comported himself like an NFL quarterback who will be there for a long time. He's proved that he's got the juice. But uh, overall, I don't like Washington State's inability to run the football because part of the the charm of the air raid is that you it creates running lanes for Max Borgie and some of the other running backs that they've had through there in the past. And that's what they're not able to do this this year. But their wide receivers, um, Arcanado, is obviously being being pretty dominant. Winston Junior, Patton, like this is a team that they have some good wideouts and some good skill position players. 
but I don't think that they're going to put the same stress on, you know, on Oregon and Washington like they did last year. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you think some of these yards are empty calories, then I can't really argue with you until they play uh, a legitimate football team, legitimate defense that they're lined up across from. But, I mean, Anthony Gordon's got like 1,350 yards three games into the season, and I just look at that and say like, Man, yeah, but two is of the Chase Garber's even going to have 1,300 yards passing this season? Uh, like, they move uh, the ball, and it's fun to watch. Yeah, it is fun to watch. I do agree with that. Um, let's move on to a game that necessarily didn't have a ton of consequence, though, but it ended up exactly the way it should have. Uh, Utah beat Idaho State 31-0. to zero. Uh, Tyler Huntley, he had a good day, three touchdown passes, 282 yards, had his best game of the season. And I'm hoping that this is one of those games that allows Utah to build a lot of confidence for the future in their passing game. Because that they only attempted 19 passes, but this is not a team that is going to be able to go undefeated unless Tyler Huntley has at least, I mean, he's going to need three really good performances down down the stretch and it might start this weekend against USC he may need a big performance there he may need a really big one against Washington State and against Cal if they are going to uh oh and then there's at Washington too like he's gonna have to step up and they're not just gonna be able to rely on the defense and the running game I loved this game I loved what they did I mean they just came out they threw a couple of haymakers early, and then they 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 pin you down to the mat and wait till you stop breathing. It wasn't fancy. They didn't try to showboat. They didn't try to hurt Idaho State's feelings. They just got the win and moved on. Ten carries for Zach Moss. That's it. His. I love yeah, that. that. I the, love that. Keep the him backups out. had nineteen carries, so everybody else, all the four of them, they all got to to touch the ball a little bit. Uh, you had that 82 yard touchdown from Brian Thompson and you kind of knew it was over Um, at that point, you know, they, they uh, didn't have to depend too heavily on who I believe is their best receiver in, in, in Britain Covey or the most dependable receiver. They just spread the ball around, got it done. Um, I mean, there there was, this was, what do they call it? Was a mortal Kombat flawless victory. Yeah. Yeah. They just got it done and it's on to the next. I, I, I appreciated uh, this performance, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, that was definitely a flawless victory. You know, they they start to finally get a little bit of competition this week when they head to USC. USC is going to be reeling. I mean, it, this is one of those games where you this is a statement game coming up for Utah, and they, uh, you know, this is one of those make them or break them games. I think for them. And this um, is the, this was circled on their calendar too. When I talked to the Utah kids out at, uh, at Pac-12 Media Day, they were just like, "Man, we haven't won in LA in forever, maybe ever." And so the, this is the game they've all had circled. The next game up is is a lesson. Next game up is a lesson to all Pac-12 teams. And but this is a time where this team got called out, called out on the mat. And, you know, in like those wrestling moves where they're like, I want you or Tyson Fury after the fight yesterday. I want you, Deontay Wilder, you bum. 
this is kind of what Air Force did to Colorado because you don't really want to service. Uh, the, well, the lesson is don't schedule service academies first and foremost. Do not do it. They will drag you down in the mud, make you look terrible. Ask Michigan last last week. Ask Oklahoma last year when they both played Army. They will drag you down and they will suck you down and they will make you look bad. So that's the first thing. But they had to play them only because they Air Force is in Colorado. It's in Colorado Springs, and they've been calling Colorado out. So guess what? Colorado has to play them, and they drug them down, took them into overtime, and beat them. Yeah. Did you did you uh, happen to catch this fourth quarter? Yes, I caught the fourth quarter. Okay, so <laughs> I have so many issues with this game. I turned this game on to see what the hell was going on. Uh, Air Force kicks a field goal, 10 minutes left, up 23-10. And I was like, well, I mean, this is what Colorado's kind of done so far, right? Like they've got themselves in a hole against Nebraska. They worked their way out of it. Let's see what they do here. And for the next 10 minutes, Colorado beat the shit out of Air Force. Like it was, it was silly. Like it, they – Air Force yep. didn't even belong on the field. Correct. Colorado was doing whatever they wanted. It was like a Harlem Globetrotter situation, like getting fancy between the legs <laughs> type stuff. It passes all over the field, gashing them up the middle, taking their time doing it, just calm, confident, collected, and then they get that touchdown with 28 seconds left. Nobody was even panicking. They review it. LaVisca Chenault's over on the sideline drinking a Gatorade. Like, what do you guys review this for? You think I'm not going to get in the end zone? And then they run the kicker out there. The kicker who missed a PAT. Missed a PAT already in the fourth quarter. And they kicked the extra point with 28 seconds left. What are you doing? They were done. Air Force was done. They They were gassed. They had given this everything they possibly could. You were in complete control, and the only flaw in the fourth quarter up to that point was your kicker screwing up, and you roll your kicker out there, the kick almost gets blocked. All you do is tie the game, and then you give Air Force new life and a short field. They were done, you (laughs) idiots. All you had to do is run the same damn uh, play that you ran to get LaVisca Chenault in the end zone Five seconds earlier, like you, I've never seen a team that looks so good in that moment make such a bad decision and take a loss like that. Because if you go out there, dude, if you, but that's just it. They were under pressure and they all looked so calm. Like it just, it didn't make sense to me that they would kick that extra point, especially after missing one, especially because the, the end result is you put yourself in a situation to give Air Force and this crazy offense yep. a short field. So you know they're going to get points. So then all you just you took the pressure that wasn't there, you put it on yourself. If you go out there and you miss going for two, yep. you can at least face the media and say, hey, this team's got balls. We're going to play to win. We're going to play to win at home. We didn't get it. That's on me. Instead, you roll the kicker out there, and then you go and get your ass beat in front of your fans in overtime and look stupid. Like, this was Colorado, ugh. They looked so good in that fourth quarter and just gave it away. Yeah, this is a bad – they have to figure out how to uh, capture whatever magic they – whatever 
whatever juice they take at halftime, they need to figure out, take it before the game. Take it in pregame. Whatever uh, Mel Tucker is telling his team, whether he's kicking them in the ass, yelling at them, you know, calling, threatening to call their mom, whatever it is, he needs to do that in the first half in pregame because this is a completely different team in the second half of all three of their football games. In the Nebraska game, in the Colorado State game, and then in this game, they've been a totally and, and different team. You're not going to be able to turn it up against ASU and, next week. You're just not. This defense that ASU is bringing to the table, they're not going to let you drop 13 in the fourth. Like, they, <laughs> No, no, no. But the, the only good news is, is that Arizona nope. State can't score a lot of points on you either. Yep, and that takes us to the next game. Arizona State went up to East Lansing, Michigan in a game that neither of us thought they could win. We believe that Michigan State's offense was a little bit better because they typically are the Utah of the Big Ten. They have a dominant defense but can't score a lot of points. They had already put up 28 against Tulsa, then 51 last week against Western Michigan, and then Arizona State's coming to town after a, what, 19-7 to win over FCS Sacramento State, and it took a late, you know, Benjamin touchdown to add seven points. It was really a 12-7 to victory, and you're saying they're going to get up, they're going to go up with a freshman quarterback, Jaden Daniels, and get absolutely boat raced, but that's not what happened. Uh, Arizona State was up 3-0 to zero until, what, Four minutes left in the game, somewhere around there. Yeah, I mean it was atrocious. They they were up three to zero, three to zero. And then when Michigan State scored that touchdown, I was like, oh well, well there goes there goes the neighborhood, buddy. Because Arizona State couldn't move. They only had two hundred and sixteen yards of total offense, while Michigan State had four hundred and four. I don't even know how they won this game, Ralph. No idea. This is what it reminds like I just it like. Like think of like an old fairy tale or something where like somebody sees an ogre, right? And the ogre starts chasing them and you're like, oh, if he gets his hands on them, it's over. And, you know, you're running around, you run through his legs, you're chasing him, you're a little bit faster. And then all of a sudden the ogre trips over their own feet, hits their head on the ground and dies. Like that's what (laughs) this was. This was Arizona State played so scared, so scared. Like this is a team, this is a team that has Eno Benjamin on it and didn't hand the ball off to him until 21 minutes of play had had passed till the middle of the second quarter. Didn't hand the ball off to Eno Benjamin until the middle of the second quarter. Didn't give him the ball but 11 times. Three of those carries were in like third and 16 situations where they were playing for the punt. Yeah, but so, they couldn't – I mean, Ralph, to, I, I totally agree with you that they did not give Eno Benjamin the ball enough. But a lot of they times, they at all. Yeah, they were they were three and outs, and they couldn't block anybody. They could not block Michigan State. They couldn't protect Jaden Daniels when they did give it to Eno Benjamin. Aside from that sixteen that the that long of sixteen yard run, and I think that was on third and long too, and he still didn't get the first down. It there was nowhere to go. There was nothing there. Would you? Agree? So are you ready for this? Okay. They took your advice. They took your advice. They moved. They're all world center from left tackle back to center. And they put a 17 year old at left tackle in East Lansing. 17. 
played for uh, John Kitna out in Texas last last year. His name is Ladarius Henderson, and he looks like he could be good someday. But they put a 17-year-old at left tackle in a giant out-of-conference, big-time, Big Ten matchup. And, uh, and then instead of letting him screw up, they basically just said, hey, we're going to throw these little quick passes and punt. We're just going to play to punt because we know our defense is good. And um, Michigan State is who I thought they were. Brian Lewerke is big and strong and can make some really great throws, but there's no rhythm to what he does. There's no rhythm to this uh, Michigan State offense. They didn't really show much dedication uh, to the run. And then when they did eat some yards up, they missed the field goal every freaking time. So, I mean, you let Arizona State hang around, and then you say, all right, Jaden Daniels, go and get us a win. And Jaden Daniels just doesn't – like, he doesn't sweat. This kid does not feel pressure. He doesn't sweat. Even on that it fourth doesn't, and, none of this bothered him. Even on that fourth and, what, 16 or 18, he did – no, 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 it was fourth and 13. He did a great job of – he did so many opportunities. He created plays. He didn't have a ton of time. He Guys were dropping balls. It, uh, what was it? Who's it? Darby? He dropped the ball. I mean, they had opportunities to make plays, and they didn't, and Daniels did not get down. He, This victory for him was a lot like the victory for Bo Nix at Auburn against Oregon. It was a game, yeah. it was a game they should have lost, but it was a game that, that they showed what kind of character, football character, that they have. And it's always nice to learn who the moment isn't too big for. And uh, they showed they showed they showed Jaden Daniels over on the sideline when Michigan State was lining up for that field goal that they made, but then they had twelve guys on the field, so then they had to re-kick it. They showed Jaden Daniels just sitting on the bench, arms back, relaxing and like laughing. And I was like, "Look at this little psychopath! <laughs> Look at this dude! Feels no emotion at all in the moment. Like he's just giggling. He he doesn't care. He's like, what's going to happen? They're going to tie it. Then guess who gets to go back out there and try to win it? Me." I was like, oh, my God, this guy is – he. I mean, he, he could be special. He's got the talent. He's got the demeanor. I mean, he's still a stick figure. He needs to thicken up a little bit. But he could be a very, very good player for Arizona State. Yeah, oh, oh, I totally agree. And it's – but I cannot believe that Arizona State is 3-0 at this point, point in time. With the way that they've played, with the struggles that they've had offensively and with the offensive line – this feels like a miracle. <laughs> this, I mean, and is that a coaching? Hey, real quick, because you've been you've been in these situations. Who gets burned for twelve men on the field? Coach. Is it an assistant coach? coach. Is it the head coach? It is, is it a player spe- that doesn't know how to count? Oh, okay, so a lot of people ask me, and my wife specifically asked me too. How does this happen? So what it usually happens because of an injury. And they were rushing out there to try to get it off. And remember, they they tried to snap it before the play clock was running out. And then, so so the um, Michigan State made a couple errors. First thing they first mistake they made was they burned what three timeouts when Arizona State had the ball. Burned three timeouts, and they and they ended up getting the ball back with no timeouts left. So that was the first mistake. Second thing is, so, and how somebody ends up out there with 12 men, there was probably an injury at some point in the game. And then they pulled somebody off because there's a special teams depth chart. They pulled somebody off 
and then that or that player was getting his helmet fixed he had to miss a play and then that guy thought that he was back on and that person who was on then did not get communicated back that they were off so that's a special teams error special teams coaching error along with a player error but you can't blame the head coach for this um, I mean, but I guess everything does run back to the head coach, but this is an assistant coach error along with the players. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but you got, you got Pac-12 reps, right? When you, when you go at a conference, it's like the whole NFL deal where uh, Fox has NFC games, but if it's an NFC team playing at an AFC stadium, it's still Fox. So the those Pac-12 reps were just trying to screw up at the oh, end of the Lord. game. It felt yeah. like because the, you got the phantom pass interference call, which put them in position to kick that field goal in the first place, where nobody was even touched. I mean, that was that was egregious in and of itself. And then you have them throw a flag for 12 men on the field and pick it up. Yeah. So I'm, then if replay doesn't exist in that scenario, Arizona State I'm is like, screwed. How do you, okay, so how do you pick up a flag for 12 men on the field? He counted 12 men. And then you have to go to replay. And then as soon as he, as soon as I, as soon as he had to kick the ball again, I said, there's zero chance he makes the kick. I mean, he shanked it into the, into the bench. That was a bad kick. Well, first of all, I might shank a kick into the bench too. If somebody's allowed to oh. jump over the entire offensive line, Correct. which is illegal and be right in my face as I'm kicking the ball. So, like, there were three blown calls at the end of that game, and I was like, this is a Pac-12 crew, isn't it? Like, that, this is, it was, and it wasn't like, I, it wasn't like egregiously bad officiating throughout the game, even though Michigan State fans will tell you the opposite. Bad, I counted two, yeah, I, I, I counted two each that were just, and I, I don't even feel like it evened out or whatever, but, I mean, there was one point where Cody White was, like, laying on the ground and Tamarcus Davis runs over three seconds after the play, throws a shoulder into him while he's laying on the ground, and he gets up, Cody White gets up and limps off like his arm can't move. It was one of the latest hits I've ever seen, and not a single ref yeah, even cared. Nothing to see here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, if Pac-12 crews are doing some of that stuff, and I tell you what, if they had allowed that that field goal to stand, I don't know if Arizona State fans would come back and watch football anymore because they still haven't forgiven Pac-12 refs for uh, not counting the two-point conversion in Oregon last year, not calling the offsides against Oregon three years ago, giving Washington State a fifth down three years ago. Like it, Arizona State fans feel like they're always on the opposite ends of this. So it was actually kind of nice for ASU fans to not have that leaping penalty called at the end of the game and be able to come out with a win. Uh, they were, they're like, oh, this is what it feels exactly. like. <laughs> um, Ralph, I am so excited. I am happy that we do not have to include Hawaii on the Pac-12 power rankings. I am happy because Washington State did what they were supposed to do to Hawaii. They beat them 52 to 20. Granted, it is a lot easier to play Hawaii off the island than on the island because it, it is something about being landlocked there that just screws up teams and hawaii plays better those five-hour flights hurt them apparently the, the like the the time change it is something and and um washington just came out in the first half they were up 38 to 7 at halftime i thought they were gonna run the ball a lot more 
but they just, I mean, like everything was open. Jacob Eason looked like a good quarterback again. 18 for 25, 262, three touchdowns. They ran the ball 31 times for 190 yards and four touchdowns. This was just a clinic and not one Hawaii wide receiver went over 100 yards. Right. Not one. <laughs> right. That, I think that that's important. I, I'm, I really like the way that Washington's defense played uh, this game. Um, getting up 38 to nothing was exactly exactly what anybody who watches Pac-12 football would want to see, um, especially after what Hawaii did in the first two games. They're just sort of hanging around. Um, I like the fact that they got Sean McGrew on the field early. Love that kid. He's like five, six, maybe, but he's got the Barry Sanders ability to move sideways as fast as he goes, you know, uh, vertical and horizontal of the exact same for him is what I'm trying to say. And so I love that they got him on the field, that he got a 22 yard touchdown right there in that first quarter. And then it, it helps to have Hunter Bryant. I mean, it helps to have a tight end that that could probably start for anyone in college football and they made use of him and so uh, they they basically executed their full offense to its fullest uh, extent and 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 made hawaii pay for all the frustration they felt after last week's cal game this is a really really good game for washington this is a good win and it's a nice step into making sure that the cal loss maybe ends up the only loss on the record this season we'll see yeah, and but but they but they do not have an easy task next week. They have to follow USC. Don't take the same flight path. Don't stay in the same hotel as USC did when they had to BYU because it is not going to be an easy game. But Washington should win this game. I mean, what we'll get to that more on the Thursday show. I you know I, I'm just happy that Washington did exactly what they were supposed to do in this game. Um, moving on to the next game, uh, North Texas and Cal. Man, I, I talked to some of the Cal coaches after the game. This was not, they were not pleased with their performance in this game. They got up 20 to nothing. It was 20 to three at halftime and the game ended up 23 to 17. Ch- Chase Garbers was their leading rusher. 18 carries, 70 yards, and he added another 129 through the air. Only nine for 22. I, I don't even know what to make of this. Uh, th- this was just not a, this was Cal football. It was a, you know, a mediocre offensive performance at best, but their defense always keeps them in the game. And and the takers do a good job. Their DBs, I what do you what, what did you learn about this Cal team from this? Uh, they did enough in the first quarter to win, so that's that's encouraging. The other thing is, it's going to be tough to keep a North Texas team down with Mason Fine, who's got ten thousand yards passing. So you you're they're down the entire time, and you put your defensive backs, who you swear are the best, you put them to the test for the final forty five minutes of having to play against a quarterback who's carved up a bunch of people at the lower level. And, um, you know, he, he didn't make very many mistakes and you still come out with the win. I think uh, that that's encouraging. Um, being able to at least put a point on the board in the second half had to cause them to, you know, wipe some sweat beads away uh, from their brow. The, the truth of the matter is this offense isn't very good. It's not very creative. They don't have enough dynamic playmaking ability at this point in time. Um 
And and I I don't know. You you you're nine for twenty two. You got to find a way to get Chase Garber's confidence up, whether it's just some bubble screens or or something here and there, some quick passes to make sure that you give your guys on the outside the ability to make some plays and you take the weight off of Garber's shoulders of making it feel like every single throw that he makes is to finally break him out of the funk. Like, give him a break. You got to give him a break. And um, their offensive line did not look good. And that that was probably the that was probably the takeaway for me was that may, maybe North Texas's defense is good. I have no idea, but they they just absolutely. I mean, Chase Garbers took six sacks, and Chris Brown and and Chase Garbers neither of the two of them averaged four yards a carry. Dancy's longest run was six yards. So this is just a bad day for the Cal offensive line, but they did enough in the first quarter to win. So you can't really complain too much. Yeah, wait until. <laughs> Wait until they head to Ole Miss this this week. That is going to be a nasty game. That is that is going to be a game where where like it it it's going to look like a street fight in the dark. Um, right, and I think Ole Miss. If I'm not mistaken, I think Ole Miss lost to Memphis, didn't they? Correct. Yes. Okay, so Brady White is the exact opposite. He's a former Pac-12 quarterback. He went to Arizona State. Um, Brady White is the type of guy who they give the opportunity to just get the ball to his receivers as quickly as possible and see what plays they can make, which creates space for the running game. So uh, they they had success against Mississippi, but they're the exact opposite of Cal. And so I don't have a ton of confidence in Cal's offense this week. Oh, I, <laughs> you, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. They don't have a ton of confidence in their offense either. Uh, I am pleasantly surprised, I guess, at the final score of the Oklahoma UCLA game, it was 48 to 14. I actually put out on Twitter. I said, what did, uh, what would you rate the chances of UCLA beating Oklahoma? And I had it at, so you're saying there's a chance from dumb and dumber and people, and you guys showed up. Thank you guys. Thank you. Pac 12 apostles. You guys showed up with some of the most hilarious memes, gifts, and replies and we we thank you for it because that makes going through this whole season that much more valuable. It is always exciting. But UCLA, at, at halftime, Oklahoma was averaging over 12 yards per play, Ralph. 12, I mean, that's not 12 yards per completion. That's not 12 yards per run. That's 12 yards per play. That counts uh, – that counts – incompletions that counts everything 12 yards per play what the hell is going on Ralph I don't really know I mean this if you've got a running quarterback and you got UCLA on the schedule this year you might end Chip Kelly's tenure like Khalil Tate's got to be looking at this UCLA game and thinking these coaches better let me run because when Jalen Hurts has 150 yards rushing on only 14 carries and does it really in the first three quarters? Oh, man. Imagine – and Jalen Hurts is athletic, but imagine what some real athletes would do. Imagine what Dorian Thompson-Robinson would do to this defense if he actually got to play against them. Uh, hold on. Time out. Slow down. Because Oklahoma's defense is not exactly world beaters. Their defense has been carved up, chewed up, and spit out for years. And the fact that – UCLA, oh my God, I didn't even pay attention. UCLA hit their average again. 
they hit their 14 point average, which, which, yeah. So I have a question for you. I got a question for you. What's more impressive? UCLA scoring 14 points three games in a row or ASU giving up only seven points three games in a row? Maybe not what's more impressive. What's more unlikely? Oh, giving up seven points three three games in a row, considering who you played. You a- a- Arizona State, well, actually, yeah, they shouldn't have given, I mean, seven points to Sacramento State is not unreasonable. Uh, seven points to Kent State, eh, whatever. That seems about right. But then seven points. Actually, I'll go with UCLA and 14 points, three straight games in a row. Because it, it, it it's like they have a ceiling. They cannot score more. <laughs> they just, it, it, it's one of those things like, you know, have you ever seen one of those movies where people, where they have their bedroom in a loft, but the ceiling is super low? And then you wake up from sleeping, you yeah. just bang your head on the wall? That's UCLA. That's UCLA's yep. offense right yeah. there. Dorian Thompson Robinson was bad again. He had two atrocious interceptions again. I I I am he fumbled the ball, but he didn't lose one this time. He he's a turnover machine. And I don't know that well, Chip Kelly tried to get to running the option again this year. Well, this week he tried to read option. And it just did not work out. I, I I can't even explain it because the read option is so simple. If you have an athletic quarterback, you should be able to make plays. Houston is able to move the ball against Washington State. You have um you have Georgia State's able to move it against Tennessee. Like it's an offense built to um built to kind of help help when you are talent deficient. When you run a lot of RPOs, or you know that that's why Arizona does it so much with, with Khalil Tate. They don't have the five star athletes, but the fact that he's so athletic, JJ Taylor in the backfield, that allows them to then create opportunities of one on one matchups where they can be successful. And UCLA is just not finding a way to do that. It is, um, and I am afraid. I am afraid that. Chip Kelly, who had so much success at Oregon. Don't you have to consider that he came on the heels of Mike Bellotti, who built things, who built the program up, did all the heavy lifting after Rich Rich Brooks even, but Bellotti was there for almost two decades. Did all the heavy lifting. Chip comes in, tweaks it a little bit, Wins a bunch of games, dodges out of town, has one good year in Philly. Nick Foles goes 27 touchdowns, two interceptions, so he looks good again. And ever since then, it's been bad. So has Chip checked, has Chip mailed it in, or is was he riding on the coattails of Mike Bellotti? Or answer C, he'll get it together eventually. I just I I just think that there are some people in every industry in the history of the world that come in and change things and make other people see that something is possible. And then other people who are maybe more well-equipped to execute those things, catch up and get the credit. And they're the ones that ultimately profit from it. And I mean, we, and, and there are, there are stories like this everywhere, right? From the, 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 the Bible, Moses never makes it to the promised land. It was his brother, right? 
but he's the one that had to do all the hard work. And you, and then you, you get to it just like it, would you consider any of the people who, who made rap popular in the eighties, even though it had already been around a while, would you consider any of them to be in the top 10 of all time? Probably not. Probably not. And so you have people that come in and change things and then they're never really able to accomplish what other people are with it. Rich Rod brought the spread. Would you would you want Rich Rod as your coach if you were going to run the spread? You'd probably pick somebody else who's had more success with it. So I don't know. I just I look at Chip Kelly as a guy who came in and he changed things at the right time and then woke everybody up to the opportunity. And then other people seized that opportunity in a better way than he could. Because especially if you're an innovator, maybe you only have that in you once or twice. You're going to have to come back uh, up with some other new thing. It's going to be really tough. And so I think Chip Kelly deserves a ton of credit. But the truth of the matter is everything that he does and everything that he brought to the table is common knowledge now. So unless he has all of his guys and unless he's going to innovate away from some of the things that he used to do, I just don't ever really think that he's going to look all that good again as a head coach. He ran out of the magic knowledge. I think so. And everybody else has magic knowledge. And I, but I, but I think that what sucks is he hangs on for a little bit longer than maybe he should. And everybody is going to look at him as somebody who failed and not somebody who changed everything. It's my fear for Mike D'Antoni. It was, it's my fear for Chip Kelly is that we should really be grateful because football is better for having them around. But the truth is they just, they just made it easier for a lot of other people to have success and they don't really get to share in that success. Um, And then on the other end, Dorian Thompson Robinson, this is going to make me sound like a curmudgeon, but maybe there's something to be said for sticking around, going to your local public school so that you can play football as a sophomore and a junior and not sitting behind Tate Martell for two years to play with a bunch of all-stars and not know what it's like to have to get your ass kicked. I don't know. That's a good point. That that is a good point because he went to he went to Bishop Gorman, yeah, in Vegas, and he only he only started right. the one year. And yeah, yeah, there there. I mean, it's almost like when you have one year starters in college, they don't typically turn around and do well in the NFL uh, at at the quarterback position in particular. Uh, m- moving on, my my boys, the Duckies of Oregon. Came out and whooped on Montana 35 to 3. Their defense looks spectacular. This is the most physical defense I've seen Oregon have in quite some time. They uh they were up 21 to nothing at halftime and then went up 28 to nothing. Then it was 28-3, 35-3. They took the pedal off the gas. Um but Herbert finished 316 yards, five touchdowns. Finally, they have a 100-yard rusher this season. No rushing touchdowns, though. And But I am thoroughly concerned about this Oregon team. I have to be honest. Thoroughly. I am concerned about – I'm well, I'm not concerned about the defense. The defense is the positive. Love it. The fact that they're having trouble running the football is a big deal. This is uh, – Three three games in, only one hundred yard rusher. Ah, that ain't what you like to see. And also with the wide receivers, there are some positives in the fact that Johnny Johnson the third is getting going. 
Uh, I don't like the fact that that Juwan, the Juwan Johnson, the kid who transferred from Penn State, hasn't played yet because he's been hurt. You got Michael Pittman still out. The, and these guys have been dropping a lot of footballs still. Same problem as last year. And and, and you almost feel bad for Herbert. You're like, he, he, he hasn't had, besides uh, Mitchell from last year, he hasn't had an elite wide receiver. And Mitchell should still be there helping him out. But he doesn't have an elite wide receiver, which is, I think, hurts the running game because it's kind of predictable at times. And even though they should go out and just dominate Stanford, they haven't been good on the road since Cristobal's been there. And even Taggart was there before that. I am concerned as they head up to Stanford. But at the end of the day, this was a good win against Montana. 11 guys caught passes, so I'm not 100% sure what you're complaining about. 12. 12 guys caught passes. Sean Dollars just didn't do anything with his. Uh, J- Johnny, this is, to me, it's an opportunity. I've been waiting for Johnny Johnson. He's surrounded by all this talent. He always has been. He was playing second fiddle to Nikhil Harry in high school. He was playing second fiddle to BYU's leading receiver, Gunnar Romney, in high school. It, it's his time to finally step up and take what's his. Those two touchdowns were a really big deal to me. The fact that he was getting the ball uh, off the line of scrimmage instead of having to make diving catches downfield is, I think, the right way to use him. To me, he's an Anquan Bolden type. Like, you get him the ball, you let him fight for his yards. Go let, he wants to give up his body, let him. You know, just don't make it be diving, you know, 40 yards down the field after running full speed. I think, I think they used him well. I think that you could be encouraged by Jacob Brilliant scoring twice. I think ha- you, the spoils of, of riches that Oregon has, like Jalen Red and Sean Dollars are on the same team. That blows my mind. These are two of the quickest dudes I have ever had a chance to cover. This team is playing really well. The backup quarterback would probably be a top five quarterback in the Pac-12. You held Dalton Sneed, who is absolutely electric, to zero touchdown passes and negative eight yards rushing. This was a fantastic, this is one of the best performances of the entire week for the Pac-12 for me. It was a complete performance. And um, if there's issues with dropping the ball, those are fixable things. So to me, anytime you have an issue that's fixable and, and, and it's not chronic to the point of being comical, I'm encouraged. So, so I think, so so I'm a curmudgeon right now. No, I just think that you're. I think that you're. You you know what this team is capable of. You follow them very closely, and there are opportunities that you would like to see. Um, but you know, I, I just watched the team score seven points right at the end of the fourth <laughs> quarter, and so like when I look at this thirty-five to three game, I'm just not going to feel sorry for you, George. <laughs> oh. Uh, Cal Poly. Well, actually, let's just celebrate. Oregon State got a win. They got Ayo. a win. Oh, um, they granted it was against Cal Poly. They won forty-five to seven. This, I mean, they dominated. They dominated from the, um, from the start to the finish. I, what do you? I, I mean, they they won a game. What do you make of this, Ralph? Uh, I, I laughed a little bit because it was like, man, Cal Poly was still kind of running the ball on him a little bit. 
And I was like, guys, come on, have some self-respect and shut this team down. Like they had a guy who rushed for almost 140 yards on them. Um, but it, they, they did shut down their quarterbacks, a dual threat guy, and they absolutely made his life a living hell. So I think they did a good job of keying in on the quarterback. Um, uh, Gebby got some time at quarterback, which I think is going to be helpful for when they have to transition. Isaiah Hodgins looks more and more like a star, like a genuine yeah. star in the Pac-12. So it was good to see him go out and get his. Um, our boy, uh, isn't Champ Fleming's the five yes, foot five? Yes, dude? he scored two touchdowns, and he had a hundred and forty some yards receiving. So I mean, that was kind of a, a funny story for a second. Now it's just cool, like that that dude can play, and and so it's that 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 was really really cool to see um, because Cal Poly's maybe a school where this kid would have you know, would have ended up if Oregon state doesn't take a chance and let him, let him come out there and play. And he just rips this team up. So, um, I don't know. It's fun. It's fun because they're probably not going to be too many more of these. Um, I'm just, I'm I'm happy for him to go out there and and, and get a win. You guys are wondering because not, uh, because most people have no idea how, uh, how good Cal Poly is. They are in the big sky conference. And last year they went five and six, I believe. And the year before that, they went one in ten or one in eleven. So this is not a good, good, good football team. Then Oregon State's not trending in the right direction. They just got to win. Even UCLA would beat this team. Yeah, and 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 what what was nice was just yep. not allowing a bunch of points because Oregon State got forty five. Well. I mean, a universe exists where I could imagine Oregon State scoring 45 on about seven of the Pac-12 teams. <laughs> so, but I could also see them giving up 120. So, Oregon State's offense is actually pretty damn good unit. Um, but yeah, the, the defensively is where you got to be most encouraged here. And my goodness, did they beat up this Jalen Hamler quarter? They they just destroyed him. He had 21 carries for 27 yards. He was sacked three times. I mean, yeah. they were just and so on him Oregon all State day. won one Pac-12 game last year. They won zero the year before that. And last year, it was they they snaked uh, Colorado at, toward the end of the season as part of their seven-game losing streak. And the thing I would like to see from this team going forward is just to stay competitive. Even if they don't win a Pac-12 game this year, even though that should be a goal, the goal should be to stay competitive and not lose games by, I think they lost eight seven games last year by 20 at least 20 some some odd points I, I forgot the exact stat but it was bad the majority of their losses they got housed so I think the goal this year should be stay close stay in contention and maybe sneak a winner to win if possible um, another shocker the final game of the Pac-12 was a shocker it was a shocker because we both did not love Arizona in this football game. Arizona feels like they're doing exactly what they did last year. They started out horrendous, but then some kind of way they bounce back and play better. And you're like, wait, hold up. I thought you guys were the bad team. And Khalil Tate, Khalil Tate Amsden, who Ralph is now trying to disown. No, I'm not trying to disown him. He sucked in this game, though. 
My well, well, lord, he, no, he's terrible. Well, he was terrible doing the thing he's not great at, but he was great at doing the thing that he's great at. He was <laughs> no. great at running the football. 17 carries, 129 yards, 84-yard touchdown. Listen, he's great at that. He's just not great at the quarterback thing. So, and Texas Tech had a good defense last year. They returned a bunch of starters. I think they were the number one defense on third down last year. So, and Khalil Tate threw two interceptions, which they is were rough. To, to they be were rough. They were rough interceptions. Yeah. Yep. And, and, but, but everybody, but, but Ralph will keep trying to tell me that Khalil Tate's a quarterback. I no, do. I like, think he is. Okay. 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 Let's just put it this way. All right. I believe that Khalil Tate, I believe that Khalil Tate, if you put his last 14 games up against any other Pac 12 quarterback, would have favorable passing numbers. I believe that with all my heart, even though, even though this game didn't go well. Okay, so I'm going to read you some stats. Wow, numbers, numbers lie. Just because not passing you have a numbers. bunch of yards. Not passing yes, numbers. they do. Not passing if you numbers. Look at, Ralph, if you look at the game, he's just tossing balls up in the air and the receivers are making spectacular catches. No, and then no. also those, those run pass options, because he's so electric with his legs, they get linebackers caught, they're throwing the ball over people's head, and people are 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 running free. He's not actually quarterbacking. He is running this RPO, and it allows players to run wide open, and Arizona made some big plays over the last 14 games that, that you're going to tell me. Go ahead, Ralph. Tell me why Khalil Tate is better than than Justin Herbert, Jacob Eason, KJ Costello, Jaden Daniels, and every other quarterback in the conference that I would take over him hey, as a passer. Hey, I don't have to kick the ladder out from anybody else to be high up on my own ladder, right? Everybody can eat. Everybody can be special in their own way. Oh, I'm everybody's saying, number one. No, not everybody's, everybody's number, one. number one. Not everybody's number one. The question is, are you or are you not a quarterback? This isn't about rankings. That's a completely different conversation that I definitely do not want to have at this point in time. <laughs> what I am saying is that he is a respectable prospect as a quarterback who happens to be an electric athlete. Okay, so and, – and I don't believe that you can have it both ways. I don't believe that you can say he just lofts these balls up there and then at the same time show that he's actually been pretty efficient – as a passer, last night's game wasn't great. It wasn't great. But what it does cap off is a 14-game run, and that's what everybody wants is a 14-game run. So only two teams get to have a 15-game run, right? So everybody wants to have a 14-game run where they get to play in a conference championship and go to a bowl game. Over the last 14 games, this is a running back at the quarterback position, we're saying, has 3,200 yards passing, 31 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. And everyone wants to say he's a running back. Well, he's only got 500 yards rushing and only about four or five touchdowns. But I feel like that's that's pretty fair. 30, uh, if you, over a 14-game season, if somebody in the Pac-12 who is not a quarterback throws for 3,200 yards, 32 touchdowns, I'd feel like that was pretty good. John Elway never threw for more than like 27 touchdowns in his entire career, NFL included. Like they, they he can move the ball. He so, is a quarterback. He so you think so? So if you take a so, I'm asking you a question. I know this is your family. I know this is your son. I know this is your cousin. <laughs> but I need you to try to be objective for a minute, Ralph. You're telling me 
that if you take away the run pass option away from him and you make him drop back and throw the football, that you think that those numbers exist. If you take away the run pass option from no, I no, no, I'm I'm saying that if you make him drop back, like if it's third downs and longs and you make him drop back and throw the football, you think that that his efficient his passing efficiency and these numbers look exactly the same way if he can't run the football to threaten people and pull all those linebackers up. I'll tell you this, he couldn't run last year. He was hurt. He couldn't run at all. Oh, so Lord, these are those numbers. Well, he couldn't run. He didn't I, I, run. I, I he didn't run. Okay. He did not run last year. You know that. You watched those games. So the numbers are the game. numbers. The option wasn't there. Now the option is there. And he finally ran yesterday. And then all of a sudden he can't pass again. Ralph, so- <laughs> <laughs> Ralph, I see today's one of them days you're not going to let common sense get in, get in the way of your argument. But you did present some facts for Khalil Tate. Uh, the, uh, you guys, uh, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. But before we even get get out of here obviously we're going to do the pac 12 power rankings but we just want to thank you guys you guys are the apostles we are just the the, the, the messengers of the apostle message you guys make sure you guys tell a friend about the pac 12 apostles share the pac 12 apostles and you know and make sure you send emails in i'm mad at unafraidshow.com ralph what are your power rankings for week three all right, my bottom six, Oregon State still at the bottom, even though I'm encouraged by what I saw. Might be a coin flip with them in UCLA, but I've got UCLA at number 11. Coming in at number 10 is Stanford, and I am ashamed to even have them there, but it's their fault, not mine. Arizona is at number eight. Um, and they played no, well. No, who did you, you have at number nine? Stanford. So I got, okay. I got Oregon State, then UCLA, then Stanford, and then I got Arizona at number eight. Arizona played well Ralph, enough to save Ralph, Mark Your, your job. math is your your Khalil Tate math has rubbed off on you. I, you I said I said that this would be said, a four and eight team. I said this would no, be no. Hold on, hold on. No, your Khalil Tate math is rubbing off on you because you said you had Oregon State at twelve, UCLA at eleven, Stanford at number ten, and then you said you had Arizona at number eight. Oh yeah, that's bad math then. All right, I got Arizona <laughs> at number nine. That is bad math. It's it's been it's it's been a long show. You got me worked up. I'm gonna be emailing I'm mad at unafraidshow.com to finish my Khalil Tate rant. I got Arizona at number nine. They showed a defense against Texas Tech and the win was impressive, but all of a sudden they get one thing fixed and the other thing broke. So I'm still not convinced on them. Colorado, um, I think the first half issue is fixable. We'll see. I've got them at number eight. Number seven is Arizona State. The reason that they're number seven is because they only give up seven every single week. Number (laughs) number six, uh, I'm going to put USC actually behind Cal at number five. So to round out my my uh, my my bottom, I guess I guess I just gave you uh, eight teams because I'm excited. But for right now, Oregon State, UCLA, Stanford, Arizona, Colorado, Arizona State, USC, and Cal. You want me to round out my top four? No, uh, uh-uh, uh, uh. I'll right. tell you why. So, you need me to shut up. That's what you need. <laughs> we have. I got Oregon State at twelve. This is an easy. You don't get a whole lot of credit for beating an FCS team and a bad one at that. UCLA, who is fighting to fighting very hard for that number twelve spot. And if there were a number fourteen, they would get number fourteen, like you gave Arizona State the number seven because they only give up seven uh UCLA only gives up only scores 14 points 
that would that would work if they had Cal's defense, but that's not the case. I got Stanford at number 10 at one and two. That was obvious. I got Arizona at number nine as well. I can't believe that we are lockstep all the way to number eight with Colorado. Number seven, I got USC. USC's loss to BYU was bad. I mean, it was bad. So they're they're falling down because of coaching, and they've fallen down because of and because that Stanford win, because I rank mine based upon schedule play, dominance, and quality wins. And that Stanford win, that domination that we thought was a quality win, found out last week at UCF, it was not that quality of a win. So that's why Stanford, I'm sorry, that's why USC is at number seven. Behind my number six team, Arizona State, Sun Devils. Listen, it's not pretty. It's not pretty, but they're winning. They are winning. And that's all that matters at the end of the day. So they're they're racking up quality wins. They get zero points for dominance, and they get uh, and their schedule is okay now that they've played Michigan Michigan State. And number five, I got the Washington State Cougars who played against the Cougars of Houston. Uh, they, they they finally played somebody, and it showed. They had a little bit of struggles, but they ended up pulling out the game. Offense still looks good. Mike Leach is a good coach. That's my uh, 12 through 5. Okay, so my number 4, because like a kid who's maybe two years past believing in Santa, but here's something out on the roof on Christmas Eve, maybe I'm starting to believe again. We'll see if it's Santa Claus or we'll see if it's just some squirrels out on the roof. But I think that Washington State is starting to show me that maybe they're a complete football team. At number three, I've got Washington. It's hard for me to get out of my head what happened against Cal. And so maybe it's crazy to have them rank two spots above Cal. But I know that Washington has a functioning offense and a functioning defense. And I don't know that Cal has both of those things. So that explains that. Cal fans, I love you. Uh, I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. That is nonsense, bro. A week ago, one week ago, Cal beat Washington. This was not an anomaly. They did not an anomaly. It happened at three in the morning after the first electrical storm in the history of the state of Washington. They did it last year, 12 to 10, Ralph. And you're acting like this is an outlier. They did it twice. If you do something once, it's an accident. You do it twice, you know what you're doing, and it's on purpose. So I, I demand, I demand, I'm calling a recount. I am just, you are up to no good with with ranking a team above another team who they just beat. Ralph, I, I, I hate this. It's, it's, it's a power rank. It's a power ranking. I think that Washington State has more power. They can do it on both sides of the ball, and Cal can't. No, you're about Washington? Well, how about when Washington plays Cal? So so if Washington plays Cal 10 times, how many times does, does Cal win? Uh, probably the same as my next number two. Oregon is my number two. <laughs> Oregon is my number two. Um, they just got so much speed on offense, and now that they've got a little bit of a defense, um, they could probably be the most complete team in the Pac-12. And after, so why aren't they number one, Ralph? Uh, because Utah put a team to sleep all the way, all the way, all the way. Those shutouts matter to me. I think that uh, I think that it was Idaho State. BYU has beaten Tennessee and they've beaten USC and Utah beat the crap out of them. So they got to be number one for me right now. 
they got to be number one for me right now because BYU has two quality wins and Utah owns both of those wins because they took it to that team. So that that's that's why. Uh, you are a Pac-12 South lover. That's what that, that's what it is. I got Washington Huskies at number four behind the team they lost to in a proper power ranking route. I just want to, I, I was speechless cap- for a second, but I just want to point out that my team number two, three, four, and five are all from the Pac-12 North. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah, but you, but you, but you outdid, but you canceled that out when you put Utah number number one. You had to give them the number one spot. So I got Cal number three. I, there's no arguing there. They just beat Washington. There's nothing to talk about. Utah is number two. Give them a whole lot of credit. Still don't love their quarterback situation, but whatever. They are ranked number 10 in the AP poll now. This is a good football team who will need Tyler Hundley to be great when it matters the most. And number one, the Oregon Ducks. Is They are the best football team in the Pac-12. And they are the Pac-12's best chance to get in the college football playoff. But they need Utah to keep winning out. And Utah and, and vice versa as well. If they want to make the college football playoffs, they need Oregon to win out. And then go beat them. So that's the power rankings for this week. You guys, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. Me and Ralph appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoy it. You guys make sure that if you want to send your 30-second rant into us, we've said the email address a thousand times. A thousand times today. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. Make sure you share the podcast with a friend. Tell a friend about the podcast. We appreciate your time, energy. Catch you on what day, guys? Thursday. We release on Mondays and Thursdays. That's the Pac-12 Apostles. Peace out.